This morning, we are in the seventh week of a nine-week series called Come and Know Me Better. And it's a series where we're looking at the different attributes or characteristics of God. And we call it Come and Know Me Better because the idea is that just like with human relationships, the more we know about God, the better we get to know him. And we've been looking at a variety of different attributes or characteristics of God. Things like God's allness, that he's all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present. That God uh, is sovereign. That God at times shows wrath. That God is loving. That God is wise. And as you may have guessed it today, God is good. Now, it's really important that we look at all these different characteristics, because if you just look at one aspect of God, uh, you may not fully get to have a sense of who he really is. You can get a distorted sense. At the same time, when you try to hold these different attributes together, it can also present some challenges. In fact, one of the oldest critiques of the Christian understanding of God is that if Gene was right a few weeks ago when he said that God is powerful, all-powerful, then I can't be right today when I say that God is also good. This is how philosopher J.L. Mackey put it. If a good and powerful God exists, he would not allow pointless evil. But because there is much unjustifiable, pointless evil in the world, the traditional good and powerful God could not exist. What Mackey is saying is this. If God is really powerful, he would do something. And he was good at the same time. He would do something about all the evil and suffering. He would end it and obliterate it now. And because he hasn't, he can't be good. And this question of whether Mackey is right about our God isn't just a philosophical puzzle. It's a real personal challenge to faith that a lot of people experience. Even C.S. Lewis, a great defender of the faith until the day he died, still right after his wife died, wrote these words in the book, A Grief Observed. The real danger is of coming to believe such dreadful things about God. The conclusion I dread is not, so there's no God after all, but so this is what God's really like? Deceive yourself no longer. Now, Lewis made it through that challenge to his faith, but still the question remains, can God really, if he is all-powerful, but isn't ending the evil and suffering that we see in our world? Can he be good? That's a question I want to look at today. And in order to think through it, I want to look at Psalm 145. So please open your Bibles to Psalm 145, and we'll also be looking at it in the overhead as well. This is a Psalm by David, and the book of Psalms, all 150 of them, are both prayers and songs to God. So we're going to see one of David's songs to God in which he deals with this question of God's goodness. And as we go through this psalm, we're going to see this big idea emerge. It's the idea that God is good to all people at all times. It's a big statement, right? God is good to all people at all times. And we're going to go through each of the kind of sentences, these, the affirmations that exist in this one sentence. First, that God is good. Second, that he's good to all people. And third, that he's good all the time. 
First, let's look at this issue of whether God is good. See what David has to say about this in verses 1 through 8 in Psalm 145. David writes, I exalt you, my God, the King, and bless your name forever and ever. I will bless you every day. I will praise your name forever and ever. The Lord is great and is highly praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation will declare your works to the next and will proclaim your mighty acts. I will speak of your splendor and glorious majesty and your wondrous works. They will proclaim the power of your awe-inspiring acts, and I will declare your greatness. They will give a testimony of your great goodness and will joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and great in faithful love. In these eight verses, David uses a lot of different words to summarize this idea that God is good. In verse 3, he says, the Lord is great. His greatness is unsearchable. Verse 6, again, he declares God's greatness. Verse 7, he talks about God's great goodness. And also in verse 7, God's righteousness. All these words together are, are summarizing the fact that God is good. And just to ram the point home, David quotes from the most popular summary in the Old Testament of God's character and goodness. It comes from the book of Exodus, Exodus 34, 6. And he quotes it in, in verse 8, where he says again, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and great in faithful love. So the affirmation in these eight verses is that despite any problem of evil that exists out there, according to David, according to scripture, God is good. He's, his greatness, his righteousness, his grace, his slowness to anger, his faithful love, his compassion, all these are ways of saying God is good. As Tony Evans says, the goodness of God is expressed in and through his various attributes. So all these attributes together can be summed up in the statement, God is good. But it's probably not surprising that not all people agree with that statement, that God is good. A few years ago, our book club at Grace, if you didn't know it, we have a book club, read different thinkers who are writing about the Christian faith and everything else in the world, and you're all invited. Uh, just let me know if you're interested. But in this book club, we read a book by the atheist, the late atheist public intellectual Christopher Hitchens. And the book Hitchens wrote is called, God is Not Great. And in this book, Hitchens argues, uh, among other things, that the Christian vision of God, this God of the Bible that we worship, is not good. He does not meet the standard of goodness. Now, there's a variety of problems with some of the arguments that Hitchens makes. But one of the foundational problems is that Hitchens and some others use their standard of goodness to judge God. But God, the God of the scriptures, is the creator of all things, including the creator of goodness itself. God isn't just good. He is the ultimate standard of goodness, the essence of goodness. This is why Jesus could say, no one is good except God alone. So if you were talking with someone who were to say, you're God, as some atheists will say, your God's a moral monster. Your God is not good at all. 
one of the questions worth asking at that moment is, what standard of goodness is that person using? Because according, just as we saw in recent weeks with Eric speaking about love and Gene speaking about wisdom, God isn't just wise, loving, and good. He is the ultimate standard of wisdom, love, and goodness. And therefore, we as his creations are not in a place to judge him according to our standards and find him wanting. Instead, he is the, as the essence of goodness and the creator of goodness and the standard of goodness is in the place to judge us instead. And for us to then ask ourselves humbly, are we actually good? So we wanted to, and I think David does in this psalm, just start off with just noticing that God is the creator of goodness itself, is good. But David doesn't end there. He has much more to say because David wants to say that not only is God good, God expresses that goodness towards people. And not just some people, but all people. Notice that David says as much in Psalm 119, a different Psalm, he says, you are good and you do what is good. Let's see how else David has to talk about that in this particular psalm. Let's continue on in the psalm in verses 9 through 16. David continues, The Lord is good to everyone. His compassion rests on all he has made. All you have made will thank you, Lord. The faithful will bless you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom and will declare your might informing all people of your mighty acts and of the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your rule is for all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and gracious in all his actions. The Lord helps all who fall. He raises up all who are oppressed. All eyes look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Do you notice the all-encompassing language in these verses? He repeats this word all and every to just show how wide the scope of God's goodness is. He is good to everyone, to all he has made, even all who fall and all who are oppressed. All eyes are looking to you. He's good to every single living thing. Now, not all people agree with this again. I had a colleague at work who recently said to me about this specific thing, well, yeah, the God of the Bible, your God of the Bible, he's good to some people. He has his favorites. He's good to certain people, but he's not good to all people. I mean, he gave the example, look at like the Israelites. Yeah, he was good to them in rescuing them from Egypt, but he wasn't very good to the Egyptians. He sent plagues on the Egyptians. So how can you say God is good to all people? Well, one of the things to point out, and if you go back to our week on God's wrath, we said is that God's wrath, his opposition to evil actually flows out of his goodness, flows out of his love. Because if God really loves the good world that he made, he's going to oppose people like Egyptian slave owners who are there destroying his good world. And, and you can see that throughout history, that the times and in scripture, God opposes evil and injustice and judges people, not simply because he's some harsh, uh, angry God, but because he is, at his essence, a good God who is opposed to evil wherever he sees it. 
That's why in verse 20 it says that he judges the wicked in this very psalm. But David goes farther than just saying that God is good because he opposes evil. He wants to say God is good to all people. And scripture, if you continue to read, you see different places where the, the Bible says God is good to all people in some pretty lavish ways, even people who don't care about God. Jesus says this when he calls his followers in the Sermon on the Mount to love their enemies. And this is the reason he gives. Because he, God, causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God's good creational gifts of the sun and of the rain are given not just to believers, but to unbelievers as well. These are aspects of what theologians call God's common grace, what we'll today call his common goodness. There is a common goodness that God shows to all people, even people who don't care about him. Paul shows just how far-reaching this goodness is when he says, for everything created by God, everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God in prayer. So think of all the good things in the world and realize that God made them all and gives them not just to believers, but to people who don't even care about him. Uh, laughter, friendship, sex, the beauty of the creation around us, the Great Lakes, I mean, you name it, the Outer Banks, whatever you want to go to, all these things are parts of God's goodness that he lavishly gives on people who don't even know him. And therefore, rather than saying, well, the Egyptians, because you, you judge the Egyptians, that presents me with a problem of evil, and therefore you can't be good. What this actually does is it presents a problem for someone who wants to disregard God. Because the question for them becomes, how, if there's so much goodness and beauty in the world, can there not be a good and beautiful God behind it all? And how can I reject him if he does all this and gives this to me when I don't even put my faith in him? N.T. Wright makes this point when he says, even if you're an atheist, you face the problem the other way around. You could refer to this as the problem of good rather than the problem of evil. If the world is the chance assembly of accidental phenomena, why is there so much that we want to praise and celebrate? Why is there beauty, love, and laughter? All of these things are signs of the goodness of God to all people. But David doesn't just stop there. He actually goes further and talks about exactly how much goodness is out there. It's not just that God is good to all people, but he's also good to some people in some pretty significant ways. Not just all people, but his people. This is how Tony Evans puts it. God is good to all in some ways, but he's good to some in special ways. Namely, those who love him and have a relationship with him. So David writes in this psalm, skip now to verses 18 through 20 and read with me. David writes, the Lord is near all who call out to him all who call out to him with integrity. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry for help and saves them. The Lord guards all those who love him, but he destroys the wicked. And, and again, look at the language, all who call out to him, all those who fear him. In other words, if you are part of God's family, 
and you love him, you fear him, you stand in awe of him and, and ex- acknowledge him, then there's a special goodness from God that you receive. And when you get into the New Testament, you see how far ranging this special goodness that God shows us is. If you have put your faith in Christ, you become part of his family. And as adopted sons and daughters of his family, he gives you all sorts of aspects of his special goodness. Just like if you're a parent here, you're, you try to be good to people outside your family. You give gifts, you do things, you try to be encouraging and kind, but you also recognize that for your kids, for people in your family, there's some special aspects of goodness that they receive from you. They have unique access to your time. They get unique opportunities to have conversation with you. You go out of your way to give them certain gifts to show them your love and what your relationship with them means. The same is true of God for his family. For those of us in his family, he says that if you have faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you can have all your sins forgiven. You can have a new life of meaning and purpose with God's presence, the Holy Spirit, inside of you. Not only do you have a relationship with God where you can talk to him anytime you want, you have a relationship with a new spiritual family, a church family, whom you will have a relationship with through death for eternity. And those are just some of the aspects of God's special goodness to us. And I want to emphasize this aspect of God's special goodness to us and his family, because as Tim Keller points out, it's actually really helpful to think about this when you're struggling with whether God is good. When you see evil around you and you say, how could God be good in all this? What Keller wants to point out to us is, even though it doesn't answer all of our questions, even though you may be in situations where you're wondering what reason could possibly exist for why, God, you have allowed this to happen in my life, God's, God's goodness, his special goodness that we've been talking about, it doesn't say what the reason is, but it does say what the reason isn't. It can't be that God doesn't love you. It can't be that God isn't good because a God who doesn't care and doesn't love and isn't good would not give us so much as to give his life for us on the cross and to welcome us into his family and to give us eternal life. Those aren't the markers of a God who isn't good. So when you hear people like my colleague question whether God just plays favorites, whether they can really worship a God who's only good to some people, remember David's points about the common goodness that he shows to all people, even people who don't realize that all the things around them that are good are from God. And remind yourself of the special goodness that God shows family members who don't deserve to be part of his family, but who can be simply through faith in So we've looked so far at God's goodness. That is the fact that he is good and also the fact that he is good to all people. But we go a step further and David wants to make a a further and final point. And it's this, that this God is also good at all times. He's good at all times. Let's look at how David makes this point. In two specific verses in Psalm 145, we're going to look at. First, verse 13, and then verse 17. Verse 13 says, The Lord is faithful in all his words and gracious in all his actions. Skip to verse 17. 
The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all his acts. Again, this word all keeps getting repeated in this psalm. What he's saying here is that everything that God says is good and everything that God does is good. God is good all the time. Now, again, some people might have a hard time with this. Some of you might be looking at me and say, Dave, how can you say such a thing with a straight face? God is good sometimes. I've seen it. But I don't know that God is good at all times. You don't know the pain, the, the trauma, the abuse I've been through. How can you say that at those times God is good? And that sort of question should not be taken lightly. And I certainly don't want today to try to philosophize away those sorts of questions. As we said, this issue of whether God is good, it's not just a, a theological puzzle, it's a personal challenge. And it comes up in all sorts of places. It actually came up recently in a conversation I was having with someone in the church, even about certain songs that we sing. There's a song called Evidence that we sometimes sing by Josh Baldwin. And this is one of the phrases in the song. I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life. And there is Josh Baldwin with his hands raised singing that song. And the question that, that me and my friend were discussing is, is this song only for those times where things are going easy, things are going well, and we can say, wow, God, good things happening. I got a lot of money in the bank. You know, I've accomplished things. I see the evidence of your goodness. Is that the only time we can sing these sorts of songs? Is God really good at all times? Well, if you continue on in the song, Baldwin also writes this. In every season from where I'm standing, I see the evidence of your goodness. So he's saying, no, this song is for all seasons, which then brings up the question, how, how do you see God's goodness at all times, in all seasons? And this is a question I regularly ask when I listened to a particular song by Andrew Peterson called Always Good. I'm not sure if you've heard this song, but I've, I think I'll always remember the backstory to this song that Peterson once shared. The song Always Good comes from an experience with one of Peterson's friends. One of his friends uh, lost his wife hours after his wife gave birth to their first child. And Peterson and his family came into the hospital room to, to try to support him. And they saw him saying in that room, just over and over to himself, always good, always good. God is always good. And then it leads you to say, like, how does he say that in those moments? Because there are moments, and that's one of them, where I would think all you could see around you is darkness. And seeing so much darkness around you, it would be so challenging to see any evidence of God's goodness. So, so how do we do this? How do we sing songs like evidence? And how do we say that God is good at all times as David can? Well, I think what we see in the pages of scripture and that what we see, even as I'll mention in a moment, in people in our churches is that people, God's people at those times look for evidence. They look for the evidence of God's goodness. And you can see this even in David. David is not naive when he writes Psalm 145. David has had some pretty bad things happen to him. David has had children die 
And David has had children who have turned their back on him and tried to kill him. David has killed other uh, women's husbands uh, and then taken the, the, you know, the wife. He's done things that have then led to awful things happening in his family. There's a lot of pain and trauma in David's life. And this led David to write Psalms like Psalm 13, where he says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? David's not naive. He looks pain in the face and he acknowledges it and he cries out to God about it. But he also then looks for evidence of God's goodness. What we looked at earlier, his common goodness to all people, his special goodness to his people. So that by the end of this psalm, David writes, my mouth will declare the Lord's praise. So maybe part of looking for the evidence of God's goodness for you is gonna be every day as people I know and as I've done at times, Keep like a gratitude journal where you just write a few things that you're grateful for, a few things that you see evidence of God's goodness in your life in order to name that and remind yourself of it for those dark times. A second way you can look for evidence came up, not in the pages of scripture, but for me and a friend who I was recently talking to. Uh, This is a friend who used to be a pastor. His name is Bill. And Bill was telling me about an experience where he was walking with various people who were going through suffering and disease. And he said, in a two-week span, all four of these people died. And he had to conduct funerals for all four of these people. And he said, he was not seeing evidence of God's goodness. It was just darkness for him. And he could have just walked away and said to himself, even even in the quietness of his heart, God isn't good. But he told me that what he began doing is he began spending time outdoors in God's creation. And he was reminded of the beauty of the world that God has made and the fact that this good world has a good God behind it. He saw evidence of God's goodness. And he said he started spending more time with other believers, other people in his church family who were the presence of God and of his goodness in his life. And he said that through that, it wasn't that he didn't acknowledge the evil and the suffering that was in front of him. But he said he was still able to see evidence of God's goodness and his common goodness in creation and his special goodness in his people. So sometimes those are ways we're looking for evidence amidst the darkness. And finally, sometimes it's going to be actually even looking amidst the darkness at how God is present within it and how he's working inside of it. One of my favorite passages of scripture is the story of Joseph, where if you remember, Joseph has his family turn their back on him. His brothers kidnap him, sell him into slavery. He is unjustly accused and put in prison in a place that is far from home. And I can't imagine being in that situation and not thinking to myself, is God really good? Does he really care? But God was working for years, even amidst that darkness. And Joseph was only later able to see the evidence of it, where Joseph says to his brothers, once he realizes the way God worked by putting him in positions to help his family and his country, he then says to his brothers, you planned evil against me, but God planned it for good to bring about the present result. He saw evidence of God's goodness, even amidst the darkness, and even though it took time to see it. And this is why we as a church will sometimes sing that song, Sovereign Over Us, where we say, even what the enemy meant for evil, and it was evil, you turned it for our good. 
And therefore, as we close, my prayer for our church is that we would be a Psalm 145 people. That when we hear people questioning whether we serve a good God or instead a moral monster, that we would be reminded that God isn't just good. He created goodness, and therefore he is the ultimate standard of goodness. That during those times where people say, oh, he plays favorites, he's, he's not really that good, that we would be reminded of his common goodness that he lavishes on all people, even those people who don't care about him, and the special goodness that he shows those of us who are part of his family and will always show for, for the rest of our lives and beyond death. And then in those times where some of us are facing darkness all around us and we see no evidence of his goodness, my prayer is that we would be the type of church family where we embody God's presence and his goodness in our experiences with each other so that when even people see darkness, they can see amidst that darkness through us the light of Christ, the one true light of the world so that every single one of us, no matter what we're facing, can say in those moments of darkness, always good. God is always good. To join me as we close in prayer. Lord, it's one thing to say these things. It's another thing to believe them in the depths of our heart. And I pray for people here who are struggling with your goodness, wondering if it's really true, feeling like it's almost too good to be true, that you are this good. Help them to see the evidence of your goodness and use us as a church to show that, to be that evidence of your goodness to one another. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.